The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast, post-draft edition. Mm-hmm. We are finally uh, in person for an episode for once. I got my buddy and wonderful co-host here with me, AJ Snyder. We just wrapped up three, no, four days of live streaming for the NFL Draft. Over 20 hours total, I think, that we did live. Uh, no breaks, at least for yours truly. But we made it. We made it. How are you feeling? Uh, better. Now that we're on the backside of that, um, yeah, four days of draft live streaming. Uh, started off on Wednesday before round one. Went through day one, day two, and day three. I took lots of breaks. I took all Brett's breaks so he didn't have to. Um, bottle. Why did, might, might as well. Exactly. I mean, that's what it's for. Meaning to throw a big thanks out your way. Can't thank you all enough. Um, we're not even really out of the draft weekend yet, and all four of those videos have totaled over 100,000 views on YouTube. The cool thing is they're all archived there, so you can just go back. If you missed a pick or you want to laugh about a pick that your rival took that you don't like, head over to the Bootleg Football YouTube channel. You can rewatch all those streams uh, basically forever, including all of our hijinks, including shots of absinthe and chat. Hold on. They paid me to do it. In my defense, I got five dollars. Might were, not have been worth it. Were you the kid that ate paste? <laughs> <laughs> I refuse to answer that question. Okay. Well, you don't need to incriminate <laughs> yourself, but uh, not to get too far off track. A huge thank you to everybody who tuned in, uh, submitted questions in the chat, added super chats, uh, sent us stuff on Twitter that we missed. Um, couldn't do it. Wouldn't want to do it without all of you. And it was a massive, massive success. So thank you very much. Yeah, it was uh, probably the best draft weekend we've ever done, and I think that was on our third one now. So, uh, hopefully, every year just going to keep on getting better and better, and uh, you know we'll just kind of keep riding this bootleg train for as long as it's going to go. But uh, it was an amazing experience today, though, with the draft come and gone. We're going to be talking about our favorite draft classes, and I know there's going to be a lot of comments already about ah, you didn't mention my team. If we wanted to talk about every single draft class today, it would be a 10-hour podcast, and I'm sure some of you would enjoy that. Most of you would not. So we are going to be getting to every single draft pick and kind of recapping what we think about it throughout the summer, but for now, we just have our three favorites. Yeah, this is the quick reaction pod. So overall, the 2022 draft was 
pretty amazing. We knew it was one of the largest drafts. It was full of talent. Um, there weren't a ton of quarterbacks. There were a lot of historic things that happened, both in the sort of positive and negative. But one of the things that really struck me is there were very few head-scratching drafts. It always seems mm -hmm. that there's two or three teams that we're talking about during the live stream. We're like, what are they doing? And honestly, there were very, very few of those this year, if any. Um, on the flip side of that, trying to figure out what our favorite three drafts were, there are a lot of really good draft classes. There were draft classes where I was going down to the last pick, the sixth or seventh round pick and going, well, is that better than the other mm -hmm. ones? Sixth or seventh round pick. And folks, if you're in that territory, your team did really well for the draft. So we're going to list teams that did really well, had more than half their picks that we really liked, but didn't make the top spots because competition was tough this year. So Arizona, Atlanta, Baltimore, Cincinnati, Dallas, Denver, Detroit, Green Bay, Indianapolis, Jacksonville, Kansas City, the LA Rams, Minnesota, New England, New York Giants, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Tennessee, and Washington were all really good, solid classes with more than half of their picks that we like get it, we understand, we think the fit's cool. That's a lot of classes that graded out really, really well, but they didn't make our top spots. So we had to narrow it down to three. Again, this is just the quick reaction. Stick with us for the whole summer. We'll be talking about each franchise individually, including their draft classes. But we're going to go to home territory for you. We're going to talk yeah. about the Houston Texans. For once, uh, <laughs> you mean I for have once, once in a positive way. For once in a positive way. It might be the first time we're positively talking about the Texans in... Long time. Uh, multiple years, uh, to put it bluntly. But this class was was truly phenomenal, in my opinion. And, you know, for all the Texans fans listening, if you remember back to, like, the 2006 draft, you were getting, you know, Mario, you got Owen Daniels. Like, it was, it was a great draft class, one of the best draft classes franchise had ever had. This one, I think, legitimately has a shot to eclipse it. They took Derek Stingley Jr. at third overall, Kenyon Green at 15 after a slight trade down from 13, Jalen Petrie at the top of round two, John Mechie a little bit later in round two, about seven picks later to be exact, Christian Harris early round three, Damian Pierce early round four, Thomas Booker top of round five, as well as Tegan Quidoriano uh, also in round five, and then Austin Deculus was their last pick in round six. Just a phenomenal class from top to bottom. I did not have a single problem with any pick that they made. And I know that there were some rumblings of, oh, okay, if any of the quarterbacks slip, maybe they'll want to bring in somebody to compete with Davis Mills. I think that Davis Mills played well enough as a rookie to earn an unquestioned shot this year. And I think they did the right thing by, you know, taking best player available mm -hmm. at the top of the first round. And, you know, pretty much everybody had a monster grade on tape for Derek Stingley. You know, they got him support with Kenyon Green and John Mechie, who's going to be coming off an ACL, obviously, but, you know, a reliable number three receiver. They got him a new running back and Damian Pierce, who you and I both love. And then they just got a lot of guys that I think can be foundational members of the locker room and culture setters, especially Jalen Petrie, Thomas Booker, Austin Deculus, who's one of the most experienced players in college football ever. Just a great, great class from top to bottom. I know statistically not all of them will work out, but if you ask me to pick right now which pick won't work, 
I can't name one. I think they're all really good. Yeah, this was a draft that started off and really keys off the fact that Derek Stingley Jr. stays healthy. It's been the question throughout the entire process. There was never a question about who he was as a person. There was definitely not a question about who he is as a player on the field when he's healthy. It's been health first, last, and always. They believe he's healthy. They take him way up top, pick three. This draft really keys off that. If he stays healthy, it's going to be a fantastic draft. If he doesn't stay healthy, they're going to take a lot of, you know, well-meaning scrutiny about, <laughs> look, you spent an incredibly expensive draft resource on a player who had questionable health, and it didn't work. So if it works, it's great. If it doesn't work, they're going to take that. But on down, Kenyon Green, one of my 10 offensive gems. Jalen Petrie, my fourth-ranked overall corner. One of my 10 gems on defense. John Mechie, who mm-hmm. is a player I was much higher on than most people I knew because I think he's going to be very, very solid as a pro because of all his experience at multiple slots, his ability to win on third down, his ability to separate at all areas of the field. Christian Harris, who really ascended at the very end of his tenure in Alabama, really the last two and a half games, and obviously the Texans talent evaluators thought, well, if that curve continues, he could be the best inside linebacker in this class. Damian Pierce, one of my 10 gems on offense, who I think is going to be fantastic and has a really clear path to playing time Mm -hmm. in Houston. He's going to be on the field quickly and a lot. Thomas Booker, I think everybody that follows Bootleg knows we love Thomas Booker. You can check out our interview with him over on the Bootleg Football Clips channel. Amazing human being, really good athlete at the defensive line, wants to play three-tech. I think that's where he'll end up with the Texans. Especially in Lovey's defense. He's going to be that upfield. He's going to get his wish. He wanted to be the upfield penetrating three-technique, and that's what he's going to be doing. Yeah, folks remember Tommy Harris. Tommy Harris was in that role in Chicago before he hurt his knee. Uh, Thomas Booker's going to get every chance to show that why he was one of the top five defensive tackle testers at the Combine. Um, Tegan Quitteriano is a really interesting guy. We saw him at Shrine Bowl. He's the Oregon State tight end. Mm-hmm. Really tall. And there were a bunch of really good tight ends at Shrine. And he kind of, I don't want to say he get lost in the wash because he kept making plays, but they were all making plays. And he just sort of was one that didn't stand out. I think it's a low-key, really good pick. But again, we're talking about end of the fifth round. They're still getting value. If there's any pick that I'm a little bit wishy-washy on, it's Deculus. You like him a lot more than I do, but I'm not anti-Austin Deculus. Again, super experienced player in the top conference in the country. Um, you know, could be guard, could be tackle. I think he's probably better at guard. Fine. If we're quibbling about your sixth round pick, 27th overall, in, t- in trying to determine the quality of your class, mm-hmm. you crushed it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's tough to say, oh, you, you drafted three pro bowlers here. I think they got a good shot. And three pro bowlers is, you know, that is the the holy grail of draft classes. The last one I can remember that even got close was um, the Saints when they took Kamara and Lattimore. And who else was in that 2017 class? It's 2017 Saints. uh, Marcus, uh, Utah safety that now is Marcus Williams with the Jets. Like that was seen as gold standard of draft class. I think they legit have a shot of having three pro bowlers here back to back to back at the top of Derek Stingley, Kenyon Green, and Jalen Petrie. And I know people say, ah, Jalen Petrie, <laughs> a nickel, top of round two. Why are you taking Jalen Petrie? I'm telling you folks, he's an amazing, amazing football player. Plays the run with tenacity, 
really, really sticky in coverage in the slot, which is where he played most of the time in Dave Aranda's defense. But remember, if you're playing the star position for Dave Aranda, you're going to be blitzing a lot. You're going to be heavily involved in run support, especially with all the RPOs that you face uh, in, in Big 12 football. Like the nickel is involved in the run fit every single play. And he brings toughness. He brings burst. He brings ball skills. He is the ideal hybrid nickel safety that can play either deep or in the slot. I I love Jalen Petrie. He's going to be an immediate starter along with Stingley, along with Green. Harris is probably going to start too. I mean, Damian Pierce is probably even going to start. I, his only competition, realistically, for the starting running back role is is uh, Marlon Mack. So, I mean, God, even Thomas Booker could start. At worst, he's a rotational guy, he's a rookie, and then he eventually works into a starter. We're looking at five or six starters. That's what I was going to say. You <laughs> took the words out of my mouth. It's that it's, I don't, you know, pro bowlers is one thing, all pros, whatever, best draft class ever. We'll see. In the immediate, right, mm-hmm. when they line it up for the first time in September and the games count, there's a minimum five guys on this list that are going to be on the field with the first team. That's incredible. In terms of draft class overall production, just outright raw production, putting five starters on the field out of a draft class, yes, it means your roster wasn't ideal. Doesn't matter. (laughs) Their roster definitely allowed for rookies to come in and start. I'll give you that. Right, but you still need, as a front office, to make the right moves to fill them, and I'm going to give them credit for that because it looks right here, again, are they all going to stay healthy? No. Are they all going to pan out over the long haul? No, right? The the odds say very, very slight chance that happens. Are a bunch of them going to pan out and play well? It looks really good right now. Yeah, it's just from top to bottom, Nick Casario did a phenomenal job. And, you know, this is somebody – I'm speaking as a Texans fan that took a multi-year break from the franchise because of who is running it from the top. Um, this draft, to me, signaled that Nick Casario is in charge of the team. It is not uh, (laughs) he who shall not be named. I think this was a Nick Casario draft because, quite frankly, uh, the other people that were in charge of the team didn't know how to build a team, didn't know how to identify talent, didn't know what to prioritize. This was a Nick Casario draft. And I think the fact that clearly Nick is in charge of roster management right now, and Say what you want about Lovey Smith. The man can build a culture. For sure. I think he's got good coordinators under him. We love Pep Hamilton. For the first time in a long time, it feels like the adults are in charge of the Houston Texans. And just when I thought I was out. Yes, they pull you back in. But you mentioned Davis Mills earlier. And he really gave them the chance to do this. Yes. Right? By playing well last year as a extremely cost-controlled rookie as a surprising starter cost nothing (laughs) they looked at that and said hey do we have to take a quarterback yeah are we definitely going to get a lot better if we do take a quarterback and that was not certain at all not in this class not at all so they were able to say great we're going to pick the best talent we can find off the board at other positions of need build the team give davis mills another year with pep hamilton and see what happens and if he works out, golden. We've got an extremely cheap, probably the cheapest starting quarterback in the NFL. Cheapest and, effective one, at least. Right. <laughs> and a team built around him. So yeah. we're sitting pretty if that occurs. If not, 
we've got assets next year in what looks to be right now, and you never know for sure, uh, a more full and sort of fully featured, <laughs> more talented quarterback class. So it's a great place for the Texans to be, and it does feel like Nick Casario is in charge of adding talent, and that's a big, big step for the Texans' return to any kind of competitiveness. Well, speaking of one team uh, seemingly ridding themselves of their demons and all of a sudden turning around in terms of roster construction. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What the hell is going on with the Seahawks? This was not a Seahawks draft. And I mean that in the most complimentary possible way. <laughs> this was a great draft for the Seattle Seahawks. We're looking at Charles Cross, the chalkiest of chalk picks you can make at ninth overall. We were worried a little bit that they were going to go in a different direction if Cross wasn't there. Luckily, Cross was there, and he was too good of a player to pass up. So they did the right thing by just taking the pick that everybody begged them to make, and they did. Boye Mafe got value at 40th overall, the edge out of Minnesota. Kenneth Walker was the one pick that a lot of people got upset about, but I'll let you uh, I'll let you take that one when we uh, get to it. Abraham Lucas, uh, again, third round pick for a super high upside potential starter at right tackle. I'm totally okay with that. Kobe Bryant slipped a little bit further than expected. They got him early four. In round five, they got Tariq Wollen, who also slipped a little bit more than expected. Tyreek Smith, in a very deep edge class, was just begging to be picked, also in round five. And then they got my guy, Bo Melton, round seven, inexplicably there. And then Derek Young, the other physical freak out of Lenore Ryan, was also there in round seven. So they said, fine, we'll double dip at receiver. We'll give uh, Drew Locke even more athletic targets to throw to. Um, I have... Zero complaints about this draft class. We could talk about the decision of fully committing to Drew Locke, but in terms of just taking players at appropriate value, can't do better than this. Really nailed it top to bottom. We were a little bit surprised when they went chalk at the top because, again, the Seahawks for almost a decade have done anything but. Um, <laughs> they have taken their draft capital and spread it around and said, we're going to do what we want. We're not going to follow anybody else's drummer. We're going to do our own thing. And it's worked out fairly poorly in terms of roster uh. building. They've had less hits than misses. So starting off with Charles Cross was a huge sigh of relief. There's a lot of Seahawks fans uh, in the chat when we were on the live stream, and you could just feel it. Oh, they were terrified. They did it. They did a good thing, right? They did the good and right thing. The good player was there at a position of need, and we just took him. Cool, but we're winding up in round two. Okay, now they're going to go off script, right? Because we're mm -hmm. very used to it, nine years in a row. And they take probably the highest ranked player at the highest position of need in round two. And sit back and say, huh, okay, seems different, but 
They could still do it. They could still go off the rails. And a lot of people will say that they did uh, with the second pick in round two. Pick number nine, Kenneth Walker III out of Michigan State. Both of our top-ranked running backs. We know Pete loves running backs. We know the offense is going to be a little bit different. But the running backs in the room right now are Penny and Chris Carson. And Chris Carson may never play for the Seahawks again due to injury status. He may, but his future is uncertain. Penny went on an absolutely white-hot tear at the end of last season. But he's struggled with injuries too. So really, if Penny gets hurt and Chris doesn't come back, what are you left with? You're calling up Marshawn Lynch again. Right. (laughs) And you've got arguably the best running back in the draft staring you in the face. And you have to look at not just 2022, but 2023. What are we going to do? So they grab Kenneth Walker. And he can contribute more in the pass game than he did at Michigan State. He is a tremendously gifted runner. So... I understand people saying, oh, running back high. But if that's your argument for why this class isn't good, it's not a good argument. It's a great player at a position, arguably, of need that has uncertainty beyond the 2022 season. Do you think the Colts, when they were having questions at quarterback and who was going to be their long-term guy forever because they kept just year after year for five years straight bringing in veterans and, and seeing who would stick, you think that they're regretting taking Jonathan Taylor in round two? Probably not. No, some great running backs have been picked in round two who've been incredibly productive and gone on to you know Hall of Fame careers. So Kenneth Walker at the top of two, if that's your argument for why the Seahawks draft stinks, probably want a new argument. And then with the next pick, they support that strategy. They say, okay, we're going, they've said all along, we're going with Drew Locke, we're going with Drew Locke. And everybody said, that's a smokescreen. They're not really going to do that. They might just with the way that they built this roster. So the next pick... Round three, pick eight, 72 overall. They go to Abraham Lucas. They just reach across the state, grab him out of Wazoo. This is more a pass-blocking right tackle, but if he fixes his dealing with power and he's got some good run-blocking reps mm-hmm. as well, this is a potential bookend. So really within your first four picks, you've got potential bookends at left tackle and right tackle. You've got a running back for the future. You're really setting up to execute that strategy we've seen the Seahawks use on offense. Round four and round five, they go to the well twice for cornerback. They get Kobe Bryant, the guy that played across the field from Sauce Gardner at Cincinnati, who's a physically gifted corner, has some things to clean up. But in round four, pick four, 100, outside the top 100, 109. Great for a a starting corner. I mean, come on. Yeah. Great pick who can sit in behind Sidney Jones again, who had a great season last year, but has had injury concerns of his own. If Sidney Jones can't finish the season, you can bring in a young Kobe Bryant play next to Trey Flowers. That looks really good. Tariq Woolen, one of my 10 gems on defense, basically alone on his physical profile because he's new to the cornerback position. He's only been there about a year and a half, so he's still learning. But he can run with anybody on the planet. He's almost 6'4". He has legit high 4'2", low 4'3 speed, and he's physical. He's not just a track guy. Um, And a lot of people in the media, draft media, and everywhere else have said there has never been a more Seahawky corner than Tariq (laughs) Woolen ever. That is in their mind. You can't tell me that Pete didn't didn't just see his measurables and his times and say, fuck it. I don't even need to see a single snap of tape. Right. Just give me that, dude. And if it doesn't work, um, we can play him in safety. So Sean Desai is... Not really the new defensive coordinator. He has a different title, but he is helping coordinate the defense in Seattle. 
has a lot of experience with defensive backs. Both Kobe and Tariq are going to benefit from his tutelage. They're going to learn faster than they might have um, under a guy who's a former linebacker. Um, and then Tyreek Smith is one of my favorite steals of the entire draft. I had a great grade on him. I think he just kind of got lost overall, maybe a little bit in the wash, in a very, very deep edge class that had 15 to 18 probably really productive edges that you could pick. Here he is sitting round five, pick 15, 158 overall, played at a major program in Ohio State, has great tape. He just enters the rotation, which they've continued to build. They mm -hmm. got Mafe above him. They already have a couple of young pass rushers they really like. Slotting Tyreek Smith in in the fifth round is a flat steal. Yeah, they uh, by they, I mean Ohio State. They have one of the best defensive line coaches in the country and specifically one of the best pass rush coaches in the entire country in Larry Johnson, who has produced, I mean, name any Ohio State defensive lineman that's come out in the last how many years? The Bosa brothers, Chase Young, uh, Draymond Jones, like literally every defensive lineman that's come out that's been a plus pass rusher, and there's a lot of them, has been a Larry Johnson product. Mm -hmm. And Tyreek Smith uses that classic, people call it the Bosa move, you know, that, <laughs> that side scissors, the swipe, and you're kind of like Euro-stepping around the corner, and then you flatten People call it the Bosa move. It's the Larry Johnson move. Every single Ohio State pass rusher, including Chase Young, including Tyreek Smith, gets wins on that move more than any other. And he was using it um, at Senior Bowl when he when he beat yep. Penning. When he beat all these guys, he did it with that side scissors move that he got from Larry Johnson because he teaches it to every single pass rusher that comes through Columbus. So at worst, he's going to be you know twenty snaps a game of fire and brimstone. I don't necessarily see him, you know, holding up super well against the run, but if he's just a rotational pass rusher that you bring in to, you know, give Boye Mafe a blow here and there, fine. You're getting him on day three. Who cares? That's that's good value. So Seattle continued their march, uh, and Bo Melton comes to the Pacific Northwest. My guy. In round seven. Talk about Bo Melton in round seven, because those are two separate things. Bo Melton, the player, and the value in round seven. I don't, I truly don't understand why he was there because you've got a productive player or more productive than he should have been at Rutgers who had <laughs> every single problem on offense that you can imagine, quarterback, scheme, offensive line. It was a mess there. And yet he still was a productive player overall. Not as productive as a lot of the other receivers that win this class, but if you're just looking at him on tape, he was getting open. Yep. But he'd get overthrows, he'd get underthrows, you know, he would come open, but the quarterback was on the ground because the offensive line wasn't very good. Like, you talk about Isaiah Pacheco, their running back that year, having to do a lot by himself. Well, so did Bo Melton. And there were some times where they just wanted to get the ball in his hands because they couldn't do it down the field. So, you know, they would give him screens, they'd give him sweeps, get involved in the return game, just something to get the ball in his hands because he's a legit 4-3 guy, great acceleration that shows up in the vert. He's got like 38 vert. Mm -hmm. Um you know his route running i would describe as jittery <laughs> in that in that it's almost like a it's almost like you you feel like your your camera is like skipping frames <laughs> because it's and it's not that it's not good it's he's actually a really good route runner but it's like some of the movements that he does with his legs are so sudden and quick and they look almost like anatomically not possible. It's just an interesting style that he runs routes with that I can only describe as jittery. But he's also a really tough guy to cover because of that, because he is so sudden. And you saw that at the Senior Bowl. Like, nobody could cover him at Senior Bowl. 
So getting him in the seventh round, even though he's not the biggest guy, he's not the most productive guy, he's a really good kid, really talented, and I think that he could legitimately, you know, challenge Eskridge for wide receiver three today. Like, as as of right now, he could be their wide receiver three, and they get him in the seventh round. Yeah, he is packed full of quick twitch fibers. You see it in that sort of skip route running, and you also see it when he gets the ball in his hands, his first couple of motions yeah. are near instant and it makes it really really difficult to keep up with him so tremendous value and a lot of upside this is a guy that had offers from all the top programs ended up at Rutgers I think the Seahawks are probably going to see a greater return on their investment of a seventh round pick Do you know why he went to Rutgers by the way I don't His mom and dad went there they were oh. both athletes track and also football I think respectively so he wanted to go play where his parents played. And he's got a younger brother, by the way, a corner, Max Melton. Oh. We're going to be talking about him pretty soon. He is. Probably built the same. <sighs> yeah, he's 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 different. So <laughs> He's different. Guys end up at institutions for different reasons. Uh, Bo Melton, legacy kid at Rutgers, wanted to go there. And then with the last pick in round seven, pick 12, 233 overall, this is a height, weight, speed gamble. This is Dariq Young from Lenore, Lenore Ryan. All the scouts found him at Lenore Ryan when they went there to see Kyle Duggar, mm-hmm. and they went, man, who's this six-two guy that's well over 200 pounds and runs like a 4-3? Yeah, <laughs> what's his name? So he was a triangle. We got to see him there. He is a work in progress as a route runner, but as an athlete, he is not a work in progress. Yeah. He is absolutely ripped as an athlete and every bit as fast as his timed speed on the field. So they're going to use him on special teams. They're going to see if they can develop him. They're going to see if they can chip off the rough edges and turn him into a receiver. And if they do, a winning lotto ticket in round seven that creates any kind of production, even as a special teamer, is a flat win. Even if he's a gunner. Mm -hmm. If you're getting a gunner in round seven, fine. If you get a productive practice squad player (laughs) in round seven at 233, you're doing great. So Seahawks, while shocking... Because they pretty much picked the best value available at the position of need and didn't do this with their draft board and just swap all the Mm. values. While surprising, a really, really solid class top to bottom that we're just not used to seeing. But boy, it's a nice change. And they've made, just keep in mind, uh, we're not shitting on everything they've done in the last decade. They've made some good picks that were not considered chalky. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, like when they got uh, Brooks from Texas Tech few years back and we were we were covering that draft we're like why early you know is what we said good player but early and we you know we had uh higher grades than the lsu kid coming Mm -hmm. out that year a few years later you look at it now he might be either the best or the second best linebacker from that class they had the conviction to take him in the first round he's he's a fantastic player for them one of their best players on defense so you know they haven't always been bitten by going against the grain but most of the time they have. <laughs> yeah, they've they've lost more than they've won. And they will lose some of this class, too. Be sure of it. It's the draft. One out of three is a really good hit rate. But if you're just playing the odds and saying, what did you get at the spots you needed? They went in hard on offensive line, which they've been criticized for in the past. They got two potential bookends, one of the top three tackles in the draft up high that they needed. Just a fantastic draft for John and Pete. Yeah, it's uh, potentially a a franchise-saving 
draft for a franchise that desperately needed an injection of a lot of talent and they needed it right now. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Um, maybe a little bit on the opposite end of the spectrum, because I think you and I have loved what Joe Douglas has done since he got there. Um, this is a roster that has a lot of talent already mm-hmm. and just kind of needed some finishing touches. They really did not have a lot of holes going into this draft, especially after free agency. You know, there was some talk about, you know, maybe trading for, for Debo and giving uh-huh. him a big deal. They ended up holding their water in the end and, and just seeing what they could get themselves without having to pay Debo $25, $26 million a year. And I do think that every last little tiny hole they had on the roster, they got. And and they definitely did their finishing touches. Yeah, Zach Wilson, if he doesn't succeed with this during his second year in the program, yeah. with his familiarity, having adapted to all the rigors of playing in the pros versus college and, and starting to understand the, the division and all those things, there's not going to be any excuse because they had a few holes and they didn't just plug somebody into those holes as we go through this they plugged some of the best positional players in the entire draft to plug into those holes and there is no pick at the end where you go yeah but like right down to the end indeed they finished in round four but i don't care i'm not going to hold that against them every pick is a oh man they got that guy i know as you've noted here, all killer, no filler. Like there is literally no picks where you're kind of glossing over. Sauce Gardner at fourth overall, which was about the range where I thought we could start to see these corners go, and they went with Sauce because they wanted to just knock that out of the way early and not have to deal with you know oh maybe Andrew Booth will fall, maybe Kyler Gordon will fall. I was like nah, let's just get the corner now. We'll deal with everything else later. So they got Sauce Gardner, arguably the best corner in this class. He's my CB2. He's your CB1. We're splitting hairs here in terms of grade. He's a really good player. Garrett Wilson at pick 10. That's about where I expected him to go, somewhere between 7 and 13 with the Texans. Mm -hmm. He went smack dab in the middle at 10. Uh, Jermaine Johnson, who fell a little bit further than than a lot of people expected. Keep in mind, as our buddy Eric Galco said during the draft stream, he was in legitimate consideration for the Jets at number four so as he just kept following or falling excuse me and he was there in the mid-20s they just decided to trade up and just get him anyway because he was there so they kind of complete their defensive line rotation which was always a, a pretty strong one anyway um you know now they have a, a defensive end that allows them to to basically come in waves and they don't just have to you know play 60 snaps a game with their starters they can do 40 and be totally cool because you still got carl lawson you got jacob martin um they got Brees hall in round two again completing the running back room you got michael carter as a rookie who we like a lot but there's no running backs that are getting 
more than 19 touches a game. Well, actually, there's one running back in the league that averaged more than 19 touches a game. It was Jonathan Taylor. He got 19 and a half. And then it falls off a cliff after that. So you need running backs, especially for an offense that wants to run a lot, mm-hmm. that can come in and get double-digit touches. So have an even split with him and Michael Carter. It's a great running back room. Jeremy Ruckert. They didn't really need a tight end because they got C.J. Ozama in free agency, but who cares? Jeremy Ruckert is a tight end, too. I love that. Max Mitchell. We don't know what's going on, going on with Mekhi Becton, whether he's going to be left tackle, right tackle, whether fans can be left tackle, right tackle. I have no idea what their starter situation is going to be. We'll figure that out over summer. Either way, Max Mitchell can play both spots. So he's your swing, and a very good swing at that. And then you got Michael Clemens, who, I mean, dare I say, might be your favorite pick in this whole in this whole uh, whole deal here in round four, getting a very high upside pass rusher with length and burst and way underrated hands in terms of like technical refinement. I would argue that, you know, Michael Clemens at round four versus Jermaine Johnson at the end of round one. Clemens is a much better value for what you're getting. And they didn't, again, they didn't need him. They already had Jermaine Johnson at this point, and they still got Carl Lawson coming back. And Jacob Martin, who I think is a, again, a 20 snaps of fire and brimstone type guy. They didn't need Michael Clemens, but they got Michael Clemens just because they could. And so you've got all these defensive linemen that are insulating you from the excuse that they had last year. Wow, well, Carl got hurt, and then our pass oh. rush went with him. It's like, well, now, no, Carl got hurt. Fine, you got Jermaine Johnson, you got Clemens, you got Martin, you got everything you need. There's no holes left. Yeah, there's no excuses left. And outside of Wilson, which they they really needed, if they didn't get Wilson, they needed somebody like Wilson. Yes. They needed that big attacking X receiver. And Wilson is the one they picked. They believe he is going to grow into that role. He's incredibly explosive. This is the Ohio State receiver on the other side from Chris Olave. And outside of that, Jermaine Johnson is not a guy they needed. It's a guy they wanted. And it's an insane value considering they were thinking about him at four and they get him all the way down at 26. The other thing about this that people aren't talking about is they now have three players with fifth year options that they control. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Ding. All at positions that are exceedingly <laughs> expensive. That's correct. At premium positions. So uh, I saw some people criticizing the trade up a little bit, not for the player, just for the cost. Again, they had picks to spare and not that many holes, and they filled them with premier players. Brees Hall. We talked about building rooms all throughout the draft, building the running back room. What do you have in Michael Carter? Awesome. What can you add? Brees Hall. Mm-hmm. Also awesome, but not the same. Yeah. Different skill sets, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Brings a different skill set, a different style, something else defenses are going to have to account for. Jeremy Rucker, we talked about the day of starting off. What are the Jets need? And you're like, I don't know, not a lot. Maybe TE2? Yeah. Sure enough, they get out somebody that might turn into TE1 in Jeremy Rucker. Probably underutilized at Ohio State. Has a really good chance to overproduce as a pro. Max Mitchell, left tackle, right tackle, flexibility. Um one of the most versatile players in this draft class. Uh, again, sort of insulates them against whatever happens at tackle. A luxury pick, if you want to, <laughs> in the fourth round at pick six. Really cool that he was still available there. And then Michael Clemens is not just double-dipping like Jermaine Johnson. It's almost triple-dipping with mm-hmm. their defensive line. And he's got size, so you can play him inside. He's over 260. Really good hand use that you mentioned. Super aggressive. Likes to really punish tackles. So a 
if you're bringing a player like that in in waves, you're going to tire out an offensive line, and that's exactly what Robert Sala and his defense want to do. They've got weapons at every spot. And when you kind of look at their edge rotation as a whole, they went into the draft where we're like, oh, man, they need they need at least one, probably two. Now you're going into it again. Lawson coming off injury. Jacob Martin, as I mentioned. Jermaine Johnson, Michael Clemens. Uh, you still got Vinny Curry there. You got Hamilcar Rashid, who you really liked uh, as UDFA last year. You thought he was very much a draftable player. They played John Franklin Myers at defensive end because they didn't have enough last year. Now he's exclusively moving back inside where he is one of the most productive interior pass rushers in the entire NFL. Like, in the whole league, JFM's one of the best. Oh, by the way, Quentin Williams. Oh, by the way, Sheldon Rankins. Now we're at the point where it's not that they don't have enough. It's that they have too many. Like How are you going to get them all snaps? They're, they're going to have to either... You know, try to do some sort of stash on you know Rashid maybe, or or somebody's going to get traded, or just outright cut. Like they can't fit all of their talent at this point. That's where the roster is. Like they literally can't fit all of their good players, which for Zach Wilson at least is best case scenario. As you mentioned, if I'm not saying it won't work out, we think it very well could. In fact, it's more likely than not to work out. To work <laughs> now. Out. Now. Like, but if for whatever reason, let's just say it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And there could be a variety of reasons for that. It ain't the roster's fault. Not anymore. Yeah. I mean, Joe Douglas and Robert Sala are going to have to take a long, hard look at the end of the year and say, did we get as far as we wanted to? It's not just did we win or lose. But did we progress as far as we think we should have? And if they haven't, it's not going to be a player issue, right? It's a scheme issue. It's a coaching issue at that point. And they're going to have to make those adjustments to try and win because it's not shortage of good players. On the last two drafts alone, they've added a lot of talent to this roster. And like you said, it's very possible that good players are going to start to get cut, which is not something that usually happens from a team like the Jets in terms of win total. Like, oh, well, we're too loaded with good players after our X win season. We're going to have to cut some of them. That's atypical, but that's the roster building job that Joe Douglas has done. And that's why the Jets cap off one of our three favorite draft classes. I will say this, Jets fans, because I know it sounds like EJ and I were completely ignoring Zach Wilson's rookie year. We weren't ignoring it. We were appropriately not talking about it a whole lot, A, because there wasn't a whole lot of positive that happened. I mean, there was positive, but it happened in spurts. There were some injuries. There were some great highlight plays, which we did talk about. There were some games where he really, really struggled, which we tried not to talk about because we acknowledged at the time that the roster wasn't there. Now it's there. So we hope we get to talk about Zach Wilson a lot more in 2022 than we did in 2021 um, because he does have a lot of talent. And we do believe in the coaching staff. And we do believe in the roster. I'm not going to say they're worst to first because Buffalo's in the division. If they're worst to first, that would be unbelievable. They're probably not going to be. Worst to wild card? Worst to wild card would be a successful season for the Jets because... Hell, worst to... Over 500 be, it would be a good season. Yeah, worst of competing for the playoffs would be a great story in New York this year because Miami 
is a really good team that mm-hmm. looks like they're going to get better. New England is continuing to build back from their one single down year in the past several decades. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> and Buffalo is Buffalo. So it's a tough division. There are no easy outs, but you have enough firepower to go do that. Now you got to learn to win, gel as a team, uh, dial in the scheme, start to play matchups, do all the things that teams, once they sort of achieve that level of competence in players and scheme, do to win tight football games of which there are many in the NFL, but worse to competing for a playoff spot, wild card or otherwise. I think Jets fans would take that at this point. For sure. Hell, just beating the Patriots, I think they would take at this point. Uh, so that'll do it for, I know it's a, an abbreviated episode compared to what <laughs> bootleg fans are, are used to, but we could not fit every single draft class that we really liked into this one show. Again, we are going to be hitting on every single pick, every single coaching change, every single free agency pickup. Throughout the summer, we're going to be doing more content than you can possibly imagine covering every single aspect of every single team to get you through the summer and not just, you know, hopefully hear some stuff about your own team, but maybe learn about things for your division rivals, you know, other teams in the conference that you're going to have to compete for. Um, you're going to get to know the entire league this summer. So don't fret, you know, the people in Atlanta that love your class, Kansas City, Detroit, Green Bay. They came back on day two and day three, and uh, in Goody we trust, apparently. And even Bears fans (laughs) that are losing your mind. We're going to go over the class and give our thoughts on that as well throughout the summer, and we're going to do so in more detail than uh, maybe you're even prepared for. So... Stick around with us throughout the summer. Again, patrons that were there throughout draft season, trust me, you're going to get a lot more content as well. Uh, Bootleg Clips is going to get some extra content too. In addition to highlights from this show, we're going to do some exclusive content over there. So uh, we could not possibly thank all of you enough for riding with us. Thank you to our executive producers, Andrew, Marat, Consti, and Connor as well, stepping up, becoming a new executive producer recently. Hell of a draft season, EJ. Hell of a draft season. And we would be remiss if we didn't put a huge thank you out to our new editor, Jay, who is processing all this content and the rest of it that's coming down the pike this summer. So bottoms up to you, Jay. Uh, Bottoms up to all of you who stuck with us through this entire process. It is a shift. Uh, We'll have this podcast this week, one next week. Might take a week off and then get some sleep. (laughs) Possibly. Uh, Lord knows we need it. (laughs) Yes. Uh, The other reason for a short podcast, not sure we could stay awake through a long one this week. I'm dying. (laughs) I am beyond exhausted. And to keep that from happening uh, and to roll into what is going to be a very busy content season for this summer, um, hang on to your butts. We're going to have some good stuff. We'll be back very soon with uh, our UDFA special. And until then, later. Take care.